You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcasts. Simply subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. And we have a special guest that we'll uh, be talking to over the next two Locked On Kentucky podcasts. We did an interview with ESPN's Michael Eaves, Sports Center anchor from Kentucky. Uh, grew up in Kentucky, uh, University of Kentucky alum. We're going to talk to him uh, about a variety of topics. Uh, he's got some great stories about uh, going down memory lane. He went to UK in the early 90s and then covered UK in the late 90s. So that whole 90s decade, Michael Eaves was either a student at UK or a sportscaster in Lexington on TV. So he covered quite a bit. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about there. Uh, uh, and then also, you know, he's at ESPN. What's it like right now during this coronavirus situation? We'll talk about that in today's episode. Also, tomorrow's episode, he was on SportsCenter breaking the news to the world about Kobe Bryant and giving updates and live coverage. I mean, the world turns to ESPN when something like that happens, when Kobe Bryant someone of that magnitude dies and Michael Eaves was was the was the face and voice for that for five and a half hours on that on that day we'll talk to him about that on tomorrow's episode but we begin with you getting to know Michael Eaves I've known him a little bit uh, over the years uh, Kyle as well uh, but you get to know him if, if you don't know going through his career it's very interesting how he got to where he is he started right here in Lexington, Kentucky, and now he is an anchor uh, of SportsCenter at ESPN. So let's begin with Michael Eaves. Well, we are so fortunate to have Michael Eaves from SportsCenter, ESPN SportsCenter, join us here on the Lockdown Kentucky Podcast. Michael, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. No problem, man. Glad I could do it. Now, for those out there who don't know, uh, I mean, they should know. If anyone watches SportsCenter and sees Michael Eaves, you should understand that he, uh, you should know through his his little drops here and there, that he's from Kentucky and he's a former uh, Kentucky Wildcat. That that uh, it it comes through. It comes through. Not to the point that you don't do your job, obviously, but it comes through. Just like Scott Van Pelt's love for Maryland Terrapins comes through. Uh, we're all sports fans. That's why we we, we jump in here and, and do you know sports broadcasting. Uh, so we have to have our allegiances somewhere. But anyway. Um, Thank you so much, and to get into your roots, for people who don't know where you're from, where are you from in Kentucky? I'm from Hopkins County. I grew up in White Plains, Kentucky, which is in the southern portion of the county, um, but I usually tell people Madisonville because it's just you know the biggest town we have in that county, so it's a little more recognizable um, to people from Kentucky. To people not from Kentucky, I just say a small town in, in the western part of the state, and then, oh, I know Kentucky is like... Where do you know Kentucky? And I'll try to narrow it down for you from terms of where I live. But yeah, White Plains there in Hopkins County. And the high school you went to? South Hopkins High School, which no longer exists. Um, there was a merger of schools in that county several years ago. So now it's Hopkins Central. But when I was growing up, you had South Hopkins, you had Madisonville North Hopkins, which is where Travis Ford went. He and I are around the same age. 
and West Hopkins. But now it's just Madisonville North Hopkins and Hopkins Central. Part of the kids from North ended up going to Central. All the kids from South went to Central. And the West Hopkins kids got split up as well. Some with the Central, some with the North. So only two high schools now in Central or Central and North Hopkins. Yeah, but you were an athlete at South Hopkins, right? Yeah, yeah. I played basketball uh, and I played golf primarily. Those I started to play. I was going to play baseball. Actually, funny story. My baseball coach wanted me to choose between baseball and golf. He didn't want me to do both, even though I was only going to miss um, baseball practice for a golf meet, but never miss a baseball game. He said, you have to choose. And I chose golf. And I went to the state tournament when I was a senior. And the baseball team wasn't that good. So it was all worth <laughs> And then you went to the University of Kentucky from South Hopkins, and you did play a little golf there, right? Well, I mean, very little. I, I, walked, I went to school on an athletic scholarship, I mean, an academic scholarship, right? So that's, that's how I ended up at Kentucky in the first place. I wasn't even going to go. I was going to go to Western because it was a little closer to my house and things of that nature. But I got a full ride academically to UK, so that's why I went there. And then I walked on the golf team um, my freshman year, and I realized pretty quickly how good I wasn't. And so then I, after that first year, I really concentrated just on keeping my grades up so my scholarship didn't fall apart. But yeah, I wasn't nearly as good as the guys that were actually on scholarship. So the, the years that you were at Kentucky, what years were you at Kentucky? Uh, 90 to 94. 90 to 94. So you witnessed the whole Rick Pitino coming in to, uh, to resurrect the program uh, and all of that. Uh, and then, I mean, you were on campus at the same time that some of these, you know, guys who helped, like Jamal Mashburn. Yeah, we were, uh, Jamal and I were, were freshmen at uh, the same time. He and I, our classes overlapped. Jamal Martinez and, you know, some other guys uh, on the team. And I ended up being really close to Henry Thomas is uh, still my best friend today. He was uh, on that squad a year before. And so, yeah, I spent a lot of time at the Lodge. Uh, Patino, I worked his camps in the summer. Um, on when guys would come in for their recruiting visits, I would help with their, you know, their official visits, things of that nature. So yeah, I was, I was around that program quite a bit, even though I wasn't on the team. Now you got your start in television at WKYT. How, yeah. how did that thing start? <clears throat> well, it was, uh, it was funny. It was actually very lucky because I, I went to UK wanting to be a sports broadcaster and I, the guidance counselor told me to, to, you know, be a journalism major. And that's what I did. But at the time there in the early nineties, the curriculum didn't really have many broadcast classes and I didn't have any broadcast experience outside of some student radio on campus going into my senior year. So the Friday before my classes started my senior year, they started, we would always start in the middle of the week, starting on Wednesday. But the Friday before I went out to WKYT because they had this fellowship program tied to, the, to UK. And I asked the news director for this fellowship, which was paid. He said, I can't give you the paid fellowship until you do the unpaid internship. I was like, all right, fine, whatever. But before yeah. I could literally turn around and ask him for that, he says, how about a job instead? I was like, what? Uh, yes, whatever that is. He said, be here Monday morning at 5 a.m. and you'll help with the morning show. I was like, great. Didn't know what that meant, but I knew I was going to have a job and I was going to be working at a TV station. So I get there that Monday morning. And the news producer who does the morning show on local TV usually comes in around 11 o'clock or midnight, works overnight, and then has the show prepared that morning. And I get there to meet him, and he was under the impression that A, already had television experience, and that I was going to be producing the local cut-ins during CBS this morning, right? So in, in local news, you have the national morning show, and then you have these local cut-ins. We had three an hour back when I was at KYT. 
And he thought I was going to be producing those, but I didn't know what the hell that meant. So I got thrown into the fire with no broadcast experience whatsoever to be doing these news cut-ins. And that was my first foray into television. And I did that for two semesters. And I started throwing in highlights of Kentucky basketball games from the night before because I knew everybody in Kentucky wanted to see the game, especially if it was a late ESPN game. They may not have seen the final right. plays yeah. or whatever. So I started putting those in there and it became you know a huge hit. And so I got a full-time news producing job after those first two semesters, right after I graduated. But I always wanted to do sports, and the news directors there always knew that. And so then about a year or so later, they created a, a new sports position just for me. And from there, I became sports reporter, sports anchor, and then Memphis, L.A., and here I'm at ESPN. Yeah, and when you talk about the putting the U.K. highlights into those cut-ins, yeah, the U.K. games back in you know in the early, mid-'90s, they weren't all on TV like like it is now. Like every single Kentucky basketball game is on television. You can watch it right now. So to be able to do that uh, for people who weren't able to see it the night before, and, and UK basketball in Lexington is king. Uh, I mean, that was pretty innovative right there. I would say that uh, helped you get a leg up to become uh, a sports anchor at WKYT. And then when um, uh, when you were there, you were also the, the main sports anchor for the Fox 56 10 o'clock news. Yeah, what you know about that job? <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, yeah, um, but that was also fortunate, too, for me because, like, you know, we had a large sports department at KYT back then with Rob Bromley, Dick Gabriel, Dave Baker, um, me, Akimi Takei, who had come from Seattle. Or, excuse me, she left there to go to Seattle. She'd come from Iowa prior to that. We had five on-air talents when I was at KYT. And when the Fox affiliate first came to Lexington, that gave us another newscast to produce from a sports department standpoint, but also gave another opportunity for someone to be on air, right? And so when, when Akimi left after Kentucky won the championship in 96, I became that number one sports anchor on Fox 56. I was 24 years old. Nice. That happened, right? And that, I mean, that was market 69, I believe, when I first started there. So that was, yeah. you know, right place, right time, but able to take advantage of that opportunity. And for those, uh, the Locked On Kentucky podcast or Locked On Network, for those of you, just an aside to what uh, Michael was saying there about Kimmy Takai, she moved out to Seattle. She wound up marrying a guy named David Locke. David Locke is uh, currently the play-by-play announcer for the Utah Jazz, and he is the CEO of the Locked On Sports Network, podcast network. So that's Boom, uh, just that's like that. That's pretty cool, yeah. And how about this? Her uncle, George, was the original um, – Dr. Sulu, I think, on Star Trek. Oh, yeah. That's, that's her uncle. That's her, that's her father's brother. I did not know that part. Yeah, I did that's not her know father's that brother, yeah. Wow, that's insane. When we continue our conversation with Michael, uh, where his career went from Lexington to get him to ESPN, plus his thoughts on John Calipari. He got to cover him at Memphis. And uh, what about those 2019-20 Wildcats? What did Michael Eves think this team that John Calipari's most recent team had, uh, he had – where does he think that team could have gotten to in the NCAA tournament? All of that when we continue with Michael Eves here on the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. We're back here on the Locked On Kentucky Podcast and our conversation with ESPN Sports Center anchor Michael Eves continues. We pick it up uh, discussing how he went from Lexington and then just advanced on through his career to get to where he is now at ESPN. You know, when you talk about go, you're at you know market 69, straight out of um, 
college to be on TV in a market size of Lexington, 69. For, for me, I had a half hour once a week high school sports show. So just high school sports, half hour once a week. Uh, sometimes it aired on Saturday mornings, then it was on Saturday night, then it was on Sunday night, then it was on Sunday morning. It jumped all around, but that was a like a half-hour show, and I was able to do that in Lexington, but it did not get me in the door to be you know, a full-time sports anchor in this market size. And so when I did try to get one of those jobs here, I was told, you need to go somewhere else to learn that. We're not looking for a, a magazine show host here. We need somebody who can you know, churn and burn on a daily basis. And so what many people have to do out of college is go to, uh, you know, Bossier City, you know, Louisiana, or go out to Fargo or whatever. For me, it was Columbus, Georgia. And my goodness, in Columbus, Georgia, you couldn't have found a better small market to cover sports because we covered Auburn like they cover Kentucky and Lexington because it's a 45-minute drive. Right. But because you're in Georgia, you're still keeping up with the Georgia Bulldogs and Alabama Crimson Tide and Georgia Tech. You go to cover the Braves because Atlanta is like an hour and 15 minutes. So you cover the Braves. You can cover the Falcons. You can cover the Hawks if you want to. We would go to the Masters. We would cover Daytona 500 and Talladega. So I got this like big market sports experience covering these large events to set me up to be able to come back uh, here to Lexington and and be able to, um, you know, get a job in this market. But, uh, you know, taking advantage of your opportunity uh, is is definitely what I did down there in Columbus, Georgia. And with what you did at WKYT uh, covering Kentucky and covering national championship games, uh, you were able to turn that into uh, a job in Memphis, right? Yeah, and so I went to Memphis, and sort of that same thing happened because Cal, John Calipari, came there and took over the basketball program, which was a huge deal. And the and the station I worked at in Memphis, just like the one I worked at in KYT, they they carry the games for the basketball program that weren't picked up nationally, right? So I had that right. opportunity. Um, the Grizzlies moved from Vancouver to Memphis, and I ended up becoming the sideline reporter for those games on Fox Sports South, so that was a big deal. And the Mike Tyson-Lennox-Lewis fight came to Memphis, of all places in the country, came to Memphis, Tennessee while I was there, and I got to cover that. So, you know, being in the right place at the right time went a long way, but making the most of those opportunities and taking advantage of it is what really put me, you know, on my career arc that then a short period of time, I was in Memphis three years, I think, and then I ended up in L.A., number two market in the country, and here I am. Yeah, and with Los Angeles, you were, um, you know, with the Clippers a lot too, right? Well, when I first got there, I was working for Fox Sports West. You know, everyone knows this, the regional sports networks now. We have them around the country. But when I first got to L.A., we had two channels there, right? And we did Lakers, Clippers, Dodgers, Angels, Kings, Ducks, USC, and UCLA, the Sparks, and the L.A. Galaxy. Every team that was in L.A., we broadcast all of their games, right? Wow. Plus high school, right? Wow. So <clears throat> I go there and just all these opportunities for me to do stuff. And I, I go to L.A. I go from a sideline reporter in Memphis to hosting the Clippers pre and post game show my first year in L.A. <laughs> right. And then yeah. from there, I did I did um, some Laker games pre and post game. But I did sidelines. And that's why I had so many of those conversations with Kobe Bryant through the years. Um, Dodgers. <clears throat> I was a sideline reporter for the Dodgers game when they had four straight home runs in the bottom of the ninth to send it to overtime. Then Nomar hits a walk-off in the 10th. I, I witnessed that. There was UCLA's run to the Final Four. Ben Howland went three straight years. I was covering that. So, yeah, yeah I, I've, just, I've been very fortunate in my career to be at the right place at the right time and to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. And then by the time I left L.A., I was traveling 
with both the Angels and the Clippers pretty much year-round, also doing Pac-12 football and basketball. So uh, I've, I've done a lot, of, a lot of live events in my career and been very fortunate to be in some really cool games. Well, so now that you're at ESPN, kind of what is what is your schedule like? What are things – I know we see you on uh, SportsCenter, but what, what is your schedule like there? You mean prior to the coronavirus pandemic? Yes, I'm sorry, yes. Prior to <laughs> yeah. this current situation that um, we're in, yes. It's – I mean, I do – Five shows a week pretty much regularly now. Yeah. Um, with some travel, certain things I always go to. Again, you know, granted, this year has been different because everything got disrupted. But um, the Masters I always go to. Uh, we have the PGA Championship, or we had it this year for the first time on ESPN. I was going to go to that. I was, I was going to the Olympics again for the third straight time. Um, I've been doing a lot of UFC coverage. I was there for the Conor McGregor Cowboy Cerrone fight. I've been to the Super Bowl the last two years. Um, it's just, you know... Whatever's big and needs, you know, coverage at certain times of the year, I've been fortunate enough to to be able to do. Like all of the anchors there and reporters, we all kind of like have our favorites, right? Yeah. And I'm huge into golf, um, so that's why I've been fortunate to do a lot of golf coverage for us. And especially when Tiger's making his comebacks the last couple of years, to be able to go to San Diego and some other tournaments for that. Um, but yeah, like on a regular basis, man, I'm in that anchor chair five minutes out of the week. Well, let's go back to your time at Memphis when Calipari comes there. Um, what was your impression of him during the time that you were covering him? Well, I remember him back when he was at UMass, right? Because Kentucky beat them in 96. Right. Um, before, you know, when the championship against Syracuse in the championship game. And so the name Calipari had been um, regularly spoken in my circle of friends and colleagues for quite some time. And when he came there, he was the right person for that job at the moment because there had been a, a scandal with the head coach at Memphis. And that's why he... Um, lost that job, had an interim coach for a year, then Cal comes in the next year. But he was everything that people described. He was a guy that, you know, could sell water to uh, to a fish. Yeah. And he was flamboyant, and he wanted to win, and he was going to do whatever it took to do that. And he didn't care if he was at Memphis or UMass or wherever. So, you know, that was, that was a lot, but also brought a lot of attention to Memphis. And that was good for me in terms of what I was doing professionally. Um, he... We, we, we had a few, I would say a few runners, because I used to host a radio show there. And he was coming on one time trying to sell Memphis getting a, a tournament invite, and they weren't going to get one, and I think they deserved one. And, you know, I, I've never been afraid to, to mix it up with Cal. But I have all the respect in the world for him as a basketball coach and what he does and how he treats his players and especially how he treats them after they leave the program and especially yeah. the ones that aren't stars. I don't think there's anyone in, in sports that is good at that as John Calipari is. Um but it was good for me to be able to have those interactions with someone like him going forward in my career because you're going to have these other interviews with coaches and players and things of that nature. And it was just, you know, it felt like national stuff, even though we were working in Memphis, Tennessee. What is your, um, your, your thoughts on him now? Like he's been at Kentucky for, I think this is his 11th season. Well, what do you think of the job he's done in Kentucky uh, for Kentucky fans? Uh, do they take him for granted uh, is, is, is this a golden era? Uh, I mean, it is. It, I know to some Kentucky fans, it doesn't feel that way because they haven't won enough. <laughs> they haven't won more than just one championship since he's been there, but they've also been in some Final Fours they, they probably shouldn't have made. But, yeah, it is. It, it's hard to find a more sustained um, time frame of excellence at Kentucky or any other program, quite honestly, in terms of what he's done since he first got there in 2009-2010. Uh, so, yeah, it is. I mean, should they have won 
one or two more championships? Absolutely. They totally should have. But it's still just to be able to get there is hard to do. And if you look at the wins that he's uh, piled up since he's been there and the number of guys he's sent to the pros and things of that nature, it's, it's the best run in college basketball right now. What did you think of this year's Kentucky team? Like, what were your impressions of where it started from, you know, to, to where, what it became at the end of the season? And what, what were your thoughts on how this Kentucky team would perform in the NCAA tournament? I thought there were three different teams during the course of that season. The season, the team that started the season with Maxie making those shots early, and then, then you had the the time in the middle when it, okay, it was it was Nick Richards or die, and at the end it was it was quickly. It was just like they had three different personalities through the course of that campaign. And I always thought the common thread that kept it all together was Ashton Hagens, and then he has some issues at the end that now you start to have like some doubt maybe that they're not going to be as successful as they were going forward, but. I still felt as if they were, had as good a chance as anybody in the country of winning. Uh, I know a lot of people were, were being upset about whatever their seeding was going to be, whether it was two, three, and we had the whole thing with Lenardi on SportsCenter about them potentially being a five seed, which was kind of funny. Um, but I thought they would go in there with a the chance to beat anybody they played, no matter where that was. Um, it's, it's unfortunate for them and every other team in the country that we never got to see that. But I thought they had a chance. It could have been that team that – you know, that gets to an elite eight and that's far as they go, or they could have made the final four. They could have won the championship. I don't think you could have been surprised by anything from a sweet 16 to a championship with that team this year. And of course, John Calipari, you know, what does he have to lose? He said that Kentucky team this season would have won the national championship. That was his, his feeling, of course. Uh, but you heard Michael Eves saying the same thing. Could have been a sweet 16 team, could have been a national championship team. All right, we're not done with Michael Eves. When we continue... What's it like to be at ESPN with no sports? We'll discuss that with ESPN's Michael Eaves when we return on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. We're back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast, and right now it's, well, it's not easy uh, to be working uh, at a network like ESPN and trying to figure out how to fill content when there's no sports going on. Uh, there's several shows depend on daily sports content, not to mention games, obviously. But that's not happening. We don't have sports right now. So what's going on at SportsCenter? Kyle and I talked with Michael uh, about several past UK games uh, that we'll, 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 talk, we'll, we'll air that part of our conversation with Michael on tomorrow's Lockdown Kentucky podcast. But that was... That was where the conversation was as we entered this, as we had talked with Michael about so many different UK games, and that's kind of setting up to where this conversation goes now. So we're, we're talking about all these great moments and memories and crazy games and tournaments, and now we don't have any. We have no sports. Uh, what, what is it like right now at the worldwide leader of sports for there not to be any sports? Uh, it's boring. Number one, it's absolutely boring because the thing about that place, I mean, I knew that prior to working for ESPN, but um, people who work there love sports. I mean, they love it. Even the people you don't see on camera, people who work in the finance office, they're typically sports fans, right? So that's what draws you to ESPN from the jump. So you always have this energy on campus because someone's team is always doing well, right? You have people from all over the country who work here. And whether it's the NFL team, a baseball team, a college football team, someone's team is doing well. So you sort of get that energy on campus. And as of late, because of how dire the situation is here in 
this part of the country, New York City specifically, which is about two hours from ESPN's campus, and then Southern Connecticut, because so many people who live in the state also work in New York, you know, we're on like more of a lockdown than most places in the country. And so on campus, we have about 3,000 people that are there, you know, day to day. We're down to less than 300 now, and it may be even less than 200 at this point, because we keep scaling it back and scaling it back as much as possible. And so I worked over the weekend, um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and it was it was like a ghost town there, man. It was like way less people than on like a major holiday, which is always a scaled down staff as well. But it was just different, man. It was it, you didn't have that same energy walking on campus, and then it got worse when you realized you were only one about ten people that you're going to see the entire night because our show groups are very specific. So, you know, from the time I got there to talking to the producer, and everybody, I probably saw ten people the whole time I was on campus. That that must be really eerie in a in a sprawling, like you said, a sprawling campus like that. What's the I mean, is there like plan A, plan B, and plan doomsday if this thing stretches out into, you know, months with no sports for you guys? Well, I mean, we are um, we are fortunate as a company because we've been around for 40 years that we have a large catalog of content to be able to fill the program hours, right? Um, but that's not why we are drawn to sports in the first place. We're drawn for the games and the stories come from those games. Now it's just about kind of going back and remembering certain games and, and star athletes and things that are compelling and then having rele- relevant conversations as much as you can during this time period. My concern is as we get farther and farther away from live game action and not having a definitive date and when it's going to resume, those conversations that you're seeing on Get Up and First Take are going to be harder and the news that we cover on SportsCenter is going to be fewer and far between. That is my concern. Filling the hours from an entertainment standpoint, every time you turn on every platform of ESPN, you're going to see something. I just don't know how compelling it would be from a story standpoint in two weeks from now. And that, to me, is um, it's not it's not scary. It's not troubling in the grand scheme of things. But that is the challenge we're facing. But my thing is also, guys, that maybe from this, you're going to see some real creativity come out from people in terms of what content we are generating from this period of no live action. That's what I was going to ask. What would be like your dream, like if they could just turn you loose to do like, okay, this is a weird time. You know, we don't need people on campus right now. Pursue some crazy coronavirus project, some some sports related. What would be your like, what's your grand idea for something you'd, you'd love to do if you if you could just kind of chase anything right now? I'd love to do a sports version of The Daily Show. Um, sort of like that would be awesome if the daily show and the Jimmy Fallon show had a baby and it was based in Bristol, Connecticut. Right. So like kind of like what, what Fox tried to do with the best damn sports show period way back in the day, a better version of that, but like take, you know, sports as the hub and everything that emanates from sports, from a pop culture standpoint and have conversations around how those things weave in together. And you're showing some stuff on social, you know, you're showing Mike Trout, hit a ball off his balcony in his house into a cup, or you're seeing Steph Curry do the same thing with a golf ball off the front door in his house. You have those things, but how people are spending time, but also, you know, also pay, you know, respects to everyone who's trying to do something right. Like Trevor Lawrence started that GoFundMe to raise money for people. Like have this, this entertaining feel good version of sports and how it just affects so many aspects of pop culture. That would be my ideal show. One of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, we're talking about hypothetical sort of, different types of content, unusual types of content, but you were involved in one that 
is kind of unthinkable. I mean, you're I I think you were already on SportsCenter when the news came out about Kobe Bryant passing. Is that no, correct? I was I was scheduled to work that day. Okay, and we came on we came on way earlier than I was scheduled to come on once we knew that Kobe had passed away. And that is where we will pick up on tomorrow's Locked On Kentucky. Michael hosted four, five, five and a half hours of live coverage when Kobe died. From the moment the news broke, Michael went out there onto the set, the first one uh, on SportsCenter to, to break the news, and then he didn't stop for five and a half hours uh, during the day, during Kobe Bryant's death. And Michael, if you did not know, and you didn't watch, if you didn't see that, uh, he was he was a friend of Kobe's. He he knew Kobe pretty well from from his time there in Los Angeles before going to ESPN. So we'll discuss that with Michael on tomorrow's Locked On Kentucky podcast. Also, the UK games that we discussed, like I said earlier on this podcast, Michael was at uh, UK in the early '90s and then covered UK basketball in the late '90s. So that whole decade, he was around for the '92 game for. Uh, the loss to the Fab Five at Michigan in the Final Four. Um, you know, being a student, and, and he was friends with Jamal Mashburn and several of the players. So there's great discussions there. And then we talk about uh, some of the games, you know, during the Calipari era as well. But all of that on tomorrow's Locked On Kentucky when we continue our conversation with ESPN's Michael Eve. So thanks so much for listening today. Uh, I can't wait for you to hear the, the rest of our conversation with uh, Michael on tomorrow's Locked On Kentucky. Right now, you should tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On SEC. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You are Locked On Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.